When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the Janice Dean Podcast. And boy, do I have a fun interview for all of you today. You know and love Tom Shalhoub as one of the regular panelists on Gutfeld. His impersonation of Joe Biden is so fantastic. And you know why? Because it's not mean-spirited. And that's Tom's secret to his comedy. He never wants to be mean, and he's always thinking of his audience as family-friendly and fun. I met Tom when he was on Red Eye way, way back in the day when he was a panelist on that overnight show that I used to appear on from time to time. Tom Shalhoub is also a stand-up comedian who used to work with Jon Stewart on The Daily Show when that was super popular. He's also part of a barbershop quartet, which is just fabulous. And they regularly appear with Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show and a program called That's My Jam. He's really such a wonderful, kind human, and I recently had the pleasure of being on a great show that we put together with some of your favorite Fox friends called The Great Christmas Debate, which is available now on Fox Nation. I think you're going to love it, and you're going to love my friend Tom Shalhoub right now on the Janice Dean Podcast. Tom Shalhoub, you made today's Dean's List. That's I, I can't believe it. I think it's the first Dean's List I've ever been on. <laughs> I love starting the podcast that way because I learn about people's academic skills. Yeah. Oh, do they usually cop to the... Uh, they do. Yeah. And and sometimes you're surprised. Like I, you know, Tucker Carlson told, I mean, we got into an in-depth conversation about, you know, how he had, he had learning challenges. And I had no idea about that because he's oh, yeah. like the smartest guy on television. Well, if you, people, geniuses usually had learning challenges. I believe that. Because they have to work around... You know, whatever it is, if you have dyslexia, then you have, you know, you have trouble following along with the reading in school. So you have to you have to find a way around it. That's right. And that's (laughs) Tucker said he has dyslexia, Uh which I had no idea. But you never made. I don't believe that. I believe that you were probably very good in school. I was on many lists, but I don't know if you call it. (laughs) I was on uh, I was on the I was part of the uh, National Art Honor Society, which Ah. is. If you have A's in art, I was like an art major in high, yes. in high school. I was going to go to art school, but I never did. I ended up becoming a performer instead. Okay. But I was a I was proficient in the in the art room. You know, I did good work. Mm-hmm. So I had A's in art, and then I had kind of B pluses and everything else. So they have a special National Art Honor Society because they assume like you know it's going to be hard to get those artists to be in the real honor society. So you're allowed to get B's. Some B's. Okay. So I had a little mixture of A's and B's, and I had A's in art, so I was in the National Art Honor Society. Did you? Did your parents know you were good at art from the very beginning, since you were a little boy, or how did that work? Yeah, I don't think they... they, they parents back then, I feel like they didn't... I was born in 66, okay? And five kids in our family. 
Parents didn't worry about any any of that stuff. They right. weren't like, oh, is my you know what's my Kids son's strength. passion? Who cares? He was just like, get out of the house, <laughs> go play wiffle ball, yell, you know. Yeah. So they just sent us to school, and we all had, but of course we had a rich, wonderful childhood, which I I love to talk about. It's a lot of my stories, a lot of my stand up in my book, Mean Dads for a Better America. It's all stories about what a great childhood I had growing up. But it's kind of funny because I tell these stories and young people today, they think, you know, uh, that it was that, you know, that my dad was such a meanie, you know, oh, you must have had a hard childhood. Your dad sounded really mean. No, we were very happy. We yeah. were just scared of that strange man who came home at five o'clock every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about that childhood. Uh, you know, you, you talk about what you know when you do stand up, right? So yeah. Tell me about that and how does that translate to comedy? Well, I mean, I think the first of all, I was the I was fourth of five. Most comedians I know, I just did kind of an informal poll throughout my life as as a comedian. <laughs> I ask comics, you know, where they fall in the family. It's rarely the first child. Mm. Most comedians are the last of eight, the last of seven. Yeah, uh, I was not the youngest, but I was the youngest for, I guess, six years. You know, okay. Um, because my sister was born when I was in, uh, going into second grade. So yeah, definitely. Um, I was the, I was the youngest for a while mm -hmm. and the youngest tends to get a lot of attention because, you know, my sisters would always dress me up in funny hats and uh, you're entertaining the family. You were the, you were the only boy? No, I have okay. my brother. I have an older brother. So I have, uh, two older sisters. Yep. I have an older brother and then a younger sister. Okay. But they were dressing you up. I did that yeah. with my brother. I feel terrible about it right now. I mean, it was, I do. I dressed you, him up. I do you have the, the photos? No, thank goodness. Yeah. But I feel bad when I talk about it. You do? Yeah. I mean, they had a great time with me and they were always <laughs> laughing at me. That's the, the memories I have of my very young childhood was just everybody in my family cracking up at anything I said, you know? Oh. So, uh, and I think that's what younger children have they have mm -hmm. that they're they're they end up being entertaining for their families so yeah i didn't have this idea even like it was said when i was in high school i didn't think i was going to go into comedy or any kind of performing um because you know it was just kind of part of my life i mean i guess i was a a fun guy funny guy fun guy to be around mm -hmm. but i wasn't a comedian i didn't think of life in that way hmm. um, you came at it later in life then well i mean it was i can remember being in um, high school and my math teacher was the one who ran the high school show. We had a thing called the gong show every year. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so the, you know, people get up and, and I don't think they would have a gong show today because the gong show was all about, you know, humiliating people. Yeah. You'd come out and do the act. And if they didn't like you, they hit the gong. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. And so this was a tradition at our high school and the, I used to go to see it when I was in junior high, I'd go up and see the high school gong show. And it was always a whole lot of fun, and the 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 kind of class clown would usually host the show. Okay, you know uh, whether it was like the you know he was always a a comedian essentially a a funny guy would always host the show. Mm -hmm. And I remember my math teacher who ran the uh, the the gong show. It was kind of his thing. He said, "Oh, Shiloh, I think you're going to host the show this year." When I got into his class, yeah. And I thought, oh, you know, uh, am I that kind of guy? Am I the kind of guy who who hosts the show? You know, because right. I was a bit of a, uh, you know, I was I was I guess I was a funny guy, but I wasn't a leading man. I didn't oh. have my own thing. Okay. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to be the host of the show. So 
I hosted the show and I, I did some little stand-up routines. I kind of poked fun of the principal. Yeah. And there was that little, didn't get you into trouble? It did. There was a little <gasps> controversy. Yeah. Tell me. Well, there was <laughs> it was actually I did a I did a routine about the principal and uh, I kind of did an imitation of him and everyone was cracking up laughing. Okay? Right. And then I was lamping. Do you remember what the imitation was? Can you do well, it? Well, he had a kind of a Boston accent, so I got in close to the because he used to do the morning announcement. Yes. What's his name? Mr. Picciarelli. Okay. Mr. Picciarelli was our principal, and he would get in the morning and say, Attention, students, you know, and he had this kind of Boston accent. There's a car in the parking lot. And your lights are on. Like, that was always. Every day, somebody left their lights on. Really? Oh, yeah. so that was a thing. That's not just a bit. No, I mean, he would do it. And so everyone heard his voice. And uh, so I did the light. You know, there's a car in the parking lot and your lights are on. And everyone's cracking up, you know. And I thought, oh, that was easy. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, but then I lampooned the uh, the, the, the gym teacher. Uh, he was kind of the phys ed teacher, health teacher, Mr. Murphy. Okay? Yeah. Mr. Murphy uh, had a bald head you know it was like you know he wasn't totally shiny bald but he was a young guy a good look a young good looking guy very right. fit he was yep. like a coach type you know <laughs> but he had a bald head and so i thought you know we'll go we'll just and i don't know what the joke was something about oh hey can we put a little makeup on that head it's good, shining in my eyes and everyone laughed you okay know? so that was it so it was you know a little joke like that and then i had been hand this was I deal with this in my book. I wrote a whole chapter in my book about this yeah. this controversy that happened back in 1984. S somebody had handed me a joke, okay, on on a cue card before the show, and it was one of the faculty advisors. She handed me this joke. It was a Rodney Dangerfield joke, right? And it was something like this. I'm going to mangle the joke because I mangled it that day. The Rodney Dangerfield joke is, uh, uh you know, when I was young, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't popular. Uh, I used to go to the, I used to go to the drive-in movie and do push-ups in the back seat. Okay. 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 Yeah. So that he, and I didn't understand the joke. Right. I didn't get it. I didn't get. It. I was a. You know, How terrible of her to give you that joke, yeah. Tom. I thought it was a physical fitness joke. R of course you. I did. thought it was a joke. He was like he didn't have any friends. He didn't have any girlfriends. So you know he would, uh, you know he would go and do push-ups. You know he would do his workouts while he was at the drive-in movie. And she I, set you up. Yeah. So, and I, I don't know, maybe she didn't get the joke. You know, it was a very Irish Catholic town. Maybe we were very innocent <laughs> people there. So in any case, it was, you know, it's not the dirtiest joke in the world, right, but it's just kind of a little. Still. So I said, hey, Mr. Murphy. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he wasn't so popular in high school. Uh, he would, he would go to the drive-in movie and do push-ups in the back seat. And the place went crazy. The whole auditorium went, you know. Right. And. Then I see Mr. Picciarelli come running down the aisle. and The there was principal. A, the principal comes running down the aisle, and there was a, a the local cable, you know, the public access. Yep. Was there filming, filming. it. Yeah. And he came running down, and he unplugged the camera. Oh, my God. And he picked up the, the tripod, and he walks out with the camera and, like, shut down the, the thing. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I guess, you know, he can't make bald jokes. That's what I was thinking. I thought it was the balding thing okay. that because, you know, <laughs> and I thought, well, Mr. Murphy, he seemed to take it pretty well. I didn't understand the I So big controversy. The 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 TV cameras went off on, on public access cable. And then on Monday, I get called into the principal's office. And uh, the faculty advisors were there. You know, my math teacher, Mr. Fuchillo, my math teacher was in the in the principal's office, and they all had to deal with this thing. 
and uh, he said that comment you made about Mr. Murphy. You know, where did you get that oh, yeah. thing? And I said, oh, it's just I didn't. I improvised it. You improvised that? <gasps> I said, yeah, because I thought it was the bald reference. Right. And then he said the thing about the drive-in movie theater. Yeah. And then I'm looking over at my teacher, the one who handed me the joke. Yes. And I didn't want to throw her under the bus, so I said, oh, I don't know, it was in a joke book or something like that. Oh, you know, so. Tom. Anyway, I still didn't understand the joke. And I yeah. said, well, what's the, you know, what's the, I, I didn't think, it. so the the whole thing, I, I don't think, it took me 10 years. And, and I was like, you know, one day I was thinking like, I wonder why that physical fitness joke I did got caused such a controversy and then it was like you know you carried that with you for 10 years yeah i didn't realize it and then when i was writing my book i was like that's probably an you know it's probably somebody's joke and so i looked up the joke yeah doing a series of google searches and i found that it was a rodney dangerville joke which was which i had mangled okay in the in in the in the process Presentation. yes yep. but um Anyway, that what just about shows that you. teacher that handed you? The, I'm so angry with her right now. Well, I I, I don't know what. Uh, That's terrible. I, That's I like don't child think child abuse. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe she was like, oh, here's a joke, and then like she was no, like, that, she, she was thinking like, oh, he he's never gonna do this one, or I don't know. I don't. I think we need to out her. Also, no. The thing is, this was the '80s. People were just doing, you know, no one was sensitive back then. So people would get away with things. Except the principal who unplugged the camera. Yeah, yeah it's true. Wow. No, she's great. The, 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 I'm not even going to say, you know, I, Mr. Picciarelli was the principal, but I'm not going to mention the teacher because she was great. She was she was one of the great uh She had a sense of humor, obviously. Did, yeah. and, and she was a lot of fun. And, and I'm I'm so sorry the whole thing got... Uh, <laughs> I don't think they ever did. I think that, that it ended the the, uh, the the gong show or, you know. Oh, no. But you persisted. You see, something like that might deter someone to go that route afterwards. Oh, no, it was great. I mean, you can me. Uh, the idea that you could, that you do jokes would cause such a stir. Oh, you liked it. Well, there was a power to it. It was ah. like, wow, it doesn't take much to get. Uh, so did you become sort of like that guy when you walked down the hallway? Well, after that controversy uh people were wait a minute did you tell your parents about this uh you know they probably didn't get the joke <laughs> you know right they probably were like oh, why did they that? bring tom down to the principal's office what yeah. was so bad about that push-up joke the, the the um but yeah there were i think there were students who were a little maybe more streetwise than me okay who were treating me after that show as if i was this kind of edgy comedian yeah oh, this guy and i still didn't get it i didn't understand what the wow. controversy was about because you don't look like that that's what i like about you you don't typically look like that type of guy that would go there and we'll be back with more of the janice dean podcast right after this look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What would you define your humor as? Oh, it's just, uh, I, I, I tell stories, I like talking about the past i like talking about uh you know growing up I, it's anything from my life yeah. and obviously being a dad now i might tell stories about my my kids and you know it's just observations i like clean humor mm -hmm. the comedians i grew up with bob newhart was a favorite of mine I used, to, I used to listen to his albums oh so good in the at the library i would go to the to the library and uh 
uh, go to the listening room, and they were just so clever. These yeah. these well thought out comedy ideas. You know, mm-hmm. he would do that. He did the famous routines like. Uh, um, you know, the the guy in the Empire State Building on the telephone. It was always these telephone bits, right? Yeah. He'd be on the telephone trying to call in the, uh, the emergency when King Kong was climbing up the building. <laughs> and so he's describing what's going on yeah. to his supervisor. Yeah. And so they were very low-key, very um, intellectual kind of, uh, and, and it wasn't about zany comedy. It mm-hmm. was like, it was it was ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, I used to watch uh, Carol Burnett. It's so good. Too. And... Uh, it is funny because totally clean show, family entertainment. But when you watch it now, oh yeah, it's actually kind of edgy yeah. because people would do uh, humor back then. I mean, they would do ethnic humor, things you can't get away with, even yeah. though the show was totally rated G. Yeah, isn't that fun? How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, it's it's terrible. I think the that's why I, in my our family shows we don't really watch any modern shows. The kids are getting older now, so they can kind of you know they we, they have a little more leeway on the on what they watch. But we would watch old shows. Our family entertainment was not the Disney Channel of today. It was just finding um, old shows like The Waltons. Okay, so we watched The, the Waltons. The Waltons. Yeah, we watched The Waltons like oh three times. Oh my gosh, that was one of those channels where I was like, I can't watch this John Boy stuff. Oh, it's it's a great you show. You like that show? Oh yeah. I liked Little House on the Prairie. Little House on the Prairie, we watched that as well. Okay. Probably we watched that twice because we would do the whole, you know, like all nine seasons. And then, uh, then we'd watch the Waltons, right? And then the kids would be like, "Oh, well, let's go, let's watch Little House again." So we would go back and watch it from the beginning. Um, but the, the, the these shows were great, and Columbo even. Yeah, Columbo, which was, I mean, kind of edgy for the kids. Somebody gets murdered in every episode, <laughs> and uh, so I remember watching Columbo with the kids, and and my daughter was like, uh, "You know, I, I think it's if if they're cheating on their spouse, that's." <laughs> That's the first clue that something's bad because it's always like, you know, it's always somebody murdering their, their husband or their wife. Right. And so my daughter was like, yeah, the, uh, that's the formula. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if the, if they're cheating on their spouse, you know, it's already, it's already gone bad. Right. Yeah, that's true. But, um, Columbo, again, a great, a great show and seventies TV. Yeah. Uh, it was so reliable, and also old movies. You know, one of their favorites is The Great Escape. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know any of these classics, um, West Side Story from 1960. You know, we would watch them as a family. But modern entertainment, I mean, it's just not. Um, it's it's not as it's not as fun. The stories were, they were positive stories. They weren't. Um, you know, they had a, a, it wasn't like they were all moral tales. They weren't, they weren't telling religious stories, mm. in, but they were essentially, they had redemption to them. Yes. Nowadays, there's a bleakness. There's right. a bleakness. No, my kids want to watch Breaking Bad. Yeah. I'm trying to like say, not now. Maybe when you're my age, you can watch Breaking Bad. Yeah. But even that I have, I mean, I, it was a good show. I watched it, you know, I even watched Game of Thrones, but I don't really like it. I don't like the bleakness. Mm. I don't like to surround myself with such nihilism you know i like i like hope positivity and yeah. Hope, yeah and there's very little of it and so when when that happens when you find a a, a movie or a, a you know something like that's why top gun was so oh big. it was so great wasn't it yeah and we went to the Throwback. movie theater yep. and we watched top gun and the kids loved it and you know did um, they watch the first one 
Yes, although I was like, I'm not going to sit through that first one again because it's it's a little bit overrated. Yeah, you know, that's kind of it, oh. it is. The second one is better than the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, but yeah, they watched it because they wanted to get the whole the whole feel. But uh, yeah, the the idea of uh, it's just they like I always use that word the bleakness mm -hmm. because that's what's cool now is is the uh, yeah is the meaninglessness of life uh, because I just think a lot of these people. I, I, I was in showbiz. I'm, I'm still in showbiz, really. I started in 91 in New York, and I've been around these people. The people in show business, they have a, uh, they have a very dark worldview. Yeah. You know? Right, and it's different. And I talked to Jimmy Fela about this. You know, a lot of, I mean, a good percentage of comedians do have a big darkness in their life, right? <laughs> you and Jimmy don't seem to be like that. No, I mean, we're more the... the uh, I, in fact, we are, um, I mean, I don't want to speak for Jimmy, but I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty normal guy, mm -hmm. you know, and there's not a lot of normal people in, in standup, yeah. you know, they kind of all have their, their thing, but it, it has more to do with it. And by the way, I heard Jimmy's, uh, the Janestine podcast with Jimmy Fallon. It was such a lot of fun <laughs> and he was so correct in talking about the lifestyle it's like the and what i mean it's not like debauchery i'm talking about the fact that if for the people who've stayed in it you know you have to be willing to be to be uh to be bad at what you do for such a long time because mm -hmm. nobody's good at the beginning okay. so like he said the first two years you're not good yeah but you're going out there every night and you're doing your job and you have to have that kind of mindset that is uh, either has no problem with that or has no clue right. about what, uh, you know how bad you are. Because <laughs> I would go out and do a, a set, I'd be on stage for ten minutes, and I'd get one laugh. And then a lot, uh, most people, if there's nine minutes of silence, or nine minutes and fifty seconds of silence, and then there's one laugh, <laughs> right. you go home and you you don't you know you're depressed and you drink. But I would go home and I'd say, well, you know, I was happy laugh. with the one laugh. Yeah. But they didn't leave, right? They still listened to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of them, I mean, at those, because the, the, the first shows you do are those late night shows. Yeah. So most people have left. <laughs> so really, you're, you're getting the diehards, the drunks who just don't want to leave. As long as the bar's open, they're going to stay. Right. Give me a, an example of a night where you just killed it. Like, what does that feel like? I, I did it once. I did. A, I told Jimmy about this, the funniest reporter contest. Yes. And I did a whole thing about weather, and it did well. Did it, well. It was good. And there is something about making somebody laugh. Like that's priceless. Yeah. You know, it's this rush that you get. Like, wow. You know, I I did something for somebody else. Yes. So it is kind of a that's the addiction almost. Right. And I think it's great to do well to go out and do uh, a, sh a good show with like friends and family, a mm -hmm. positive. I always tell people, because there's a lot of this in the stand-up world, this is this idea you have to pay your dues. So it's like, no, don't, don't take a class, no comedy classes. Just get up there and just, you know, uh, get on stage and bomb. You got to bomb hard and, you know, work out the jokes. So there's this school of hard knocks that comedians think that, you know, you need to do, uh -huh. which you know, I guess part of that is right. You do have to get out and you have to do a certain amount of, hell gigs but i always tell some take a class do it sign up for a i used to teach at the pit theater in um uh, here in in new york right the people's improv theater mm -hmm. i taught stand-up and people take the class you know they 
put their money on the line. They go in. We go into a studio. We work on material. And at the end of the class, it's like the end of a six or an eight-week class, they get up at a comedy club. They invite all their friends and family. Yeah. So you have, say you have 10 to 12 students and they're all doing five minutes. We work on a five-minute set. We polish it up. And then all their friends and family come and everybody crushes. Yeah. Because they're they're, they're their having families a, yeah their there. families there and they're and the and I even say I I would uh, not only book the show I would host it and I would come out and I'd say you guys have to be a good audience you have to laugh for everybody not just your friends you know what I mean <laughs> yeah uh, I don't care who you're here to see you give everyone your support so it's almost like they're you threaten the audience to be a great audience and they're on their side and the comedians destroy every one of them. They have the best set of their life. And I always tell them, this is going to be the best set you've, you ever have. And now you're going to, after that, you're going to go out in the world, you know, and then you're going to see what a, a tough crowd is like. But it's good to have that great crowd at the beginning yeah. because it gives you the bar and then you can always kind of aim for that. Mm -hmm. And you know that you can do it, right? You can go out there and you can get laughs. Whereas if you just start with nobody and you get no laughs one after another, it's going to knock you down. Yeah. Well, yeah. how did you do that? How did you just keep doing it? I was like Jimmy. I was, I don't, I have, I'm missing that, that gene. I'm missing something where I don't have the sensitivity. I, I, I didn't really care. You okay. Know? I don't have a lot of self, I guess that self-conscious um, thing. And you don't beat yourself up. I don't beat myself up. And I, I mean, the, the funny thing is a lot of comedians do. Of course. They that's their this, darkness almost. Yes. And they will have, uh, uh, and it's a terrible thing because usually the last show of the night is the late latest show. And say you do, cause in Manhattan you run around and you'll do, uh, you know, four or five sets a night. You know, that was in my heyday anyway. Sometimes I do more than that, wow. but you can run around and do every single club. If you get a spot, you can just kind of go from one to another and you're just running your material. In the end, you're going to be at the last show. It's going to be like 145 and you're going to be performing for drunks and it's going to go badly. And then you got to go home. <laughs> yeah. So the last show of the night was terrible. So you've got to, you got to let that roll off your back. Yes. How'd you meet your wife? Oh, you know, it, actually through Jim Gaffigan introduced me to my oh, wife, Jim Gaffigan, comedian, wow. who I met when I was, when I first moved to New York, the first open mic I went to was just at a restaurant, you know, the open mics, you can't even get the open mic at a comedy club when you first get here. You have to go into the back room of a restaurant where somebody's running this independent show. Yes. And there was a club on the east side called Cold Waters, and they would do a weekly open mic on like a Wednesday night. And so I went there, and uh, standing in the back waiting to go on, Jim Gaffigan was next to me. He was new in the city. Uh-huh. And so we exchanged phone numbers, and that kind of started our, our friendship. So these are the guys you start with, mm -hmm. and... Then some years later, Jim uh, uh, was, he was in an acting class with my wife, Denise Belvedere. Uh -huh. And he said, I, you know, she was working on a show, working on like a solo show. So she's in the business too. She's, well, she's not in the business anymore because I, you know, I've. I, <laughs> Only I just, one in the I household. I destroyed her career by, <laughs> uh, you know, having children and now she's got Stop. all this family stuff to deal with but no she you know once we got married and, and had kids you know she was kind of like uh, uh she's got a she's got a lot to do <laughs> yeah got, and we we're homeschooling the kids so she's a she's a teacher and a principal and she's a, got the most important job right now yes um but the uh, but yeah jim introduced me to her and uh it was funny because we had i met with her and and she was 
working on this solo show, kind of workshopping it. And with the idea of maybe I would d direct the show, so we would have. But I had a girlfriend at the time, so it wasn't ah. like I was going to get involved with this girl. But we met and we we went over her show, and she was very nice, and you know we kind of liked each other. But you know it wasn't going to happen, right. and so and then the show never never happened. Okay, and, you know, and then some years later, I ran into her at a club, and uh. she was like, "Do you remember me?" I was like, "Do I remember you?" <laughs> She's like, "Do you still have a girlfriend?" I said, "No." She's like, "Okay, let's go get dinner." Wow, yeah. good for her. <laughs> And that was the beginning of the rest of your life. Yes. Yep. I love Amazing. it. When did you know you were musical? Because you are a fabulous singer. Oh, well, thank you. you I mean, are. I'm not I'm not really a <clears throat> uh, But you I have are. A, I have my genre. Like I like the old songs. Mm -hmm. And I did start singing later. I mean, a lot of people started when they were, you know, when they were quite young. Okay. In our church at St. Catharines in, in Norwood, Massachusetts, there was a huge, the choir boys, you know, the, the boys choir was massive mm -hmm. and excellent. And, uh, I wasn't in the choirs. Uh, I, I was an altar boy. Okay. So it was a different thing. So I was like, no, I'm not going to be with the singer. I'm going to go with the altar boys. It was like two, the two cultures. You yes. Know? And then I took trumpet in, in, uh, grammar school and I ended up quitting the trumpet in junior high, but I still never sang. And then in high school, I was kind of kicking around looking for something to do and, you know, there's a lot of girls in the in the chorus. Yep. So it's like Glee Club, th there's a lot of girls. Theater, there's a lot of girls. So that's really what started it, is that it's like, you know, 80% girls in the theater and in the, the Glee Club. So I joined So up. your career is just trying to pick up chicks. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, most guys I know, when you really get down to it and you say, how did you start theater? And well, it was a play and they needed boys and it was all girls. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what they did, you know. And so did you know you could carry a tune? Did somebody say? I knew, yeah. yeah. I knew I could carry a tune and and um, we're, we were, I, I guess, kind of a musical family. We wouldn't sing together, like s sit around the piano and sing. But, you know, my dad always had Irish music on and mm -hmm. I would sing along with the Irish and with the Clancy Brothers and yeah. Tommy Makem and all that kind of stuff. So I always liked music and, and I was, I would sing in, you get certain amount of music in the public school system. So when we had our spring concert, I would usually get a solo and things like that. Oh. So I did little, you know, uh, but I, I didn't consider myself a singer. But then there were four boys uh, in the high school chorus that were, there were probably a few more boys, but we were kind of the bass section. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't really have bass voices, but we thought we had, we were like, oh, we're a bass. But in high school, they, they always need basses and we were the basses, right? So there were four of us. And we were a bit of, you know, troublemakers because we were boys. And so our chorus director, Tom Dugan, he he needed to occupy us. So he handed us these barbershop quartet charts. Yeah. And he sent us into the boys' room. He said, go in the boys' room and learn these. So we would, during music, in order to stop bothering the girls, he sent us in the boys' room and we <gasps> learned barbershop in the boys' room. And it's wow. A, in, in, a, in a boys' room, you get that. It's all tiled. You get this wonderful echo. It's a great place to sing a cappella. The bathroom. Yeah, the bathroom. It's okay. no, nothing better than a bathroom I for didn't, singing. I'm like, boys' room? What is he talking about? And yeah. now I realize it was the bathroom. Yeah, the bathroom. Boys, girls, bathroom, right? <laughs> okay. And so we would uh, we we would sing barbershop in the bathroom. And then when the the uh, the high school show at the end of the year came out, not the gong show, but it was like the high school variety show. Yeah. They had us come on and sing Barbershop. And, of course, the crowd went crazy. Oh, yeah. Because we just, it was a very simple song. We weren't very good. But when you sing Barbershop, everyone goes nuts. 
Did you ever see, you know, the music band? Yeah. The quartet comes love out. That. It lights up the whole show. Yes. There's nothing like a barbershop quartet. It just makes everybody smile. So we did barbershop in that show, and there was someone in the audience from the Barbershop Harmony Society. Okay. The Society for the Preservation and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America. Holy moly, that's a mouthful. Yes, and he brought us down to a local meeting, and we went into this church basement, and we sang for these old guys, oh. and they went crazy. Oh. You know, they loved it. And I, we had never been given such a warm wem- welcome. And then afterwards, they broke and had coffee and donuts. And then we all split off into quartets and they were teaching us songs. And these guys were like, they're old guys. They're like, this is the greatest generation type of guys, right? Yeah. And they embraced us. And it was fun to hang out with these guys. So we started singing in the barbershop. We were like the, the youngest guys. Same guys that you met in the boys' room. Yes. Yeah, we all kind of started going to this meeting. Okay, and so and and we were the we were the young guys, and then we'd, they'd have us on the shows, and say, "Oh, these kids are so cute, have them up here," you know. And we were called the Boys Next Door oh. uh, at the time. That was our uh, our our group, and then we just continued singing together. And we got uh, we ended up getting a job. We got hired to sing at an amusement park. In okay. uh, I think it was 1986, <laughs> we sang for the summer. So we had a full-time job singing barbershop. Wow. And then we just stayed together. We're hometown friends. Two of us live in Boston, two in New York. Okay. And we still get together. We have a, a, a show on Saturday night. We don't do that often. Maybe one or two shows a year. Okay. Around Christmas? Yeah. Oftentimes we'll get together. I mean, and if we're home for the holidays back in Massachusetts, we'll get together and we'll kind of bop around to each other's houses and sing and things like that. But it's been since 1984. We have been together, basically. I think that could be a movie. <laughs> I do. Really. I really, I think that's tremendous in so many ways. Just the friendship that you have, yeah. how you were kind of thrown together, how this makes people happy. Um, I think there needs to be more barbershop quartets. Yeah, I Don't mean, it's you? great. We'll be back with more sunshine right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The thing that I love about the uh, the Barbershop Harmony Society and the 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 whole scene is that people still get together for these conventions. You know, you'll you you'll get on a plane, you go to a hotel, the whole hotel is barbershoppers. You know, <laughs> and they have competitions. Usually that's what gets them together is you you go for the competition, but it's not really about the some people take it very seriously, but most guys are just there for the fun and the camaraderie. But you gotta get them there somehow so you have a big competition, right? Yeah. And there's judges and they score this you. This is a movie. Just oh, like yeah. best it's in really... show and and spinal tap. Yes. Yes, and it's it's quite a, uh, but you know it's like it, it has the same feeling. Remember when we're at the Patriot Awards, you're just there with a bunch of people who have similar interests, but yeah. they're from all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. You know, so the thing about barbershoppers is you can get up in a quartet, and people generally, whether it's a say you're in a say you're a lawyer, you have a you know the lawyers society, you know you have the New York law people, and they get together, and they're all the same type of you know economic. They're all in the same, what, what do you call that, demographic? Yes, of, you know. yep. Or if it's a doctor's group, you know, so doctors end up hanging out with doctors. People end up being with 
uh, people from their own little kind of world a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. With barber, something like barbershop, it really is. You can you have a quartet, and one of them is the CEO. I mean, he's rich, you know, and he drives a Jaguar, and he's singing barbershop with a guy who's a he's a, a blue collar guy. Yeah, you know, maybe he's a contractor. Then you have this other guy, you know, maybe he's a music teacher. It there's you you have guys from all walks of life, but nothing. It, all the barriers are down. That's amazing. You know, and yeah. there's no, there's Republicans, there's Democrats. You almost never, you know, not, don't talk politics. You come there and you sing old songs. It's oh, great. What's one of your favorite old songs to sing? Well, uh, Sweet Adeline is great, of course. Uh, you know, Coney Island Baby, things like that. But you know what I love is the, because a lot of the barbershop songs come from that really old era, the kind of pre-musical theater era. Mm. But we do a lot of songs from the Great American Songbook that you would hear on a Frank Sinatra album. We do songs uh, like uh, uh, You're Sensational from, uh, uh, that was a song that Bing Crosby sang in, uh, uh, what's that wonderful musical, uh, High Society. Yeah. And uh, songs like uh, You Must Have Been a Beautiful Baby and um, the uh, French Foreign Legion. It's a great Frank Sinatra song. And uh, the uh, Miss Otis Regrets. Yeah. You know, so the the guy in our quartet, the guy who was the baritone, uh, Bob Martin, he is a, uh, a a musical arranger. So he he arranges all the tunes. So we kind of have our own arrangements. They're kind of our own versions of these ah, songs. OK. And uh, so we kind of have our own little library. So it's great to have that to, to fall I'm... back on. And he also does the arrangements for. Jimmy Fallon, when we sing with the Ragtime Gals. Yes, tell people about that. Do I? I don't think a lot of people realize that you are that famous. <laughs> That's the. I mean, the Ragtime Gals is the barbershop quartet with Jimmy Fallon singing lead, and I sing. I actually sing bass in that group, but it is, and we sing hip hop songs. Yeah. So, uh, years ago, I used to. After I moved to the city, you're running around like I said. You're waiting in line to go on to do stand-up shows, and there's comedians. You're hanging out with these guys. You're having a beer. You're having a laugh, and I would make them sing barbershop. If I ever met a comedian, and a lot of them are kind of pretty musical, yeah, I would teach them little parts of songs, and we would sing little snippets of barbershop. Nice. And then every once in a while, we would get up in the club. We'd be at the comic strip all together, and we say, "Hey, let's do a little barbershop." So I'd be doing stand up, and then someone, one of the guys, would start heckling me from the audience, and I'd say, "Oh yeah, why don't you get up here if you know?" So, and then we'd all get up on stage and burst into song, and we'd oh, sing "Coney Island Baby" or "Fantastic." You know. And of course, the crowd goes crazy because yeah. they can't believe that people are singing barbershop. And so it was kind of a gag that we would do, and then it became a thing. People would say, "Hey, can you guys come down and uh, at our show and do that barbershop thing you do?" And uh, one night we were hanging out uh, with Jimmy Fallon. He was there. He wasn't even on uh, his own show at the time. He was on SNL. Yeah. And, and I think we might have sung a tag with him at some point. And uh, one of the guys was a comedian, A.D. Miles. And uh, he ended up getting hired as Jimmy's head writer. Ah. So once they're on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, uh, A.D. Miles says, Hey, Jimmy, remember those guys with the barbershop? And Jimmy said, I want to do that. I want to do that on the show. And Jimmy says, I got an idea. We're going to sing hip hop songs, but with as barbershop. So we come out looking so clean and tidy, but we're singing the, and you know, the lyrics of these songs. Yeah. So that was his idea. So that was like, you know, I brought the barbershop. Jimmy brought the the comedy idea to it. Right. So we put together a song and I had my guy from Boston, Bob Martin, arrange it. He did the arrangement. 
We came on. We did it. It went crazy. The crowd went crazy. Like I said, it always they always like they can't believe what's happening. Yeah. And it went super viral. Yeah. It was on the front page of Reddit, which was at the time. We're on the front page of Reddit. We were the top thing. Okay. Went so cuckoo crazy. And so the producers were like, we got to do this again. Yeah. So we did another one. That one went viral. You know, so it became one of those signature bits of Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. And then it continued. Then when it became The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, uh, the second night of the show, we were on singing Barbershop. Wow. And uh, we sang with Justin Timberlake. We oh. sang with Sting. We've done it all, with all different, you know, we have these guest artists. Tina yeah. Fey did it. Uh, um, and uh, Steve Carell. So we've had all these different guest singers. So it became this big thing. And then when they did Universal Studios in Florida, they did a, uh, an NBC ride down there, Jimmy Fallon. And so they had the ragtime gals. They shot us singing a song and they made a hologram of us and we're in the ride. So when you take oh, the ride, you go flying, you know, in this virtual ride and you pass the quartet singing <gasps> and we go, we go by you. So there's a hologram of me. I in, hope you get residuals for that. Oh, it's a, it's a good little deal, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it's been immortalized and, uh, so, and, and it's Jimmy loves to do it. He yeah. loves anything. He's such a fun guy. And you just did it. It's not like this has stopped. It's still part of your yeah. life. We actually did a guest appearance on That's My Jam, which is on NBC. It's kind of like a mid-season show. And Jimmy puts all his, he loves to do musical bits. Yeah. All his musical games that he does on the show, they put into a primetime show. And so we went out there and we sang on, on the show. So that'll oh. be on in February. But yeah, it's been a kind of this running thing. And it's great. I mean, it's great because Jimmy, this is why I love the guy. When I started at Fox, Jimmy congratulated me. He sent me a, a gift. And when I got Red Eye, he was so happy for me. And he never thought about, you know, oh, now that you're on that show, you're off. You know, we'll, we'll find another guy. Oh. He was like, no, you're my friend. You're going to do the show. So we can, we've continued with that. And also Fox was great because when I started, they said, oh, you do that thing with Jimmy Fallon? Keep doing it. You That's know what I mean? great. Yeah. They don't, so we don't want to take away from your the relationships that you've already had. I'm so glad you told me that because, you know, on a day like today, you know, it's you you think that people are going to be partisan right away. Yeah. Like you can't do that. You work at Fox? Yeah. No, you're com not coming on stage with me. Yeah. No, they don't want me to do MSNBC. I mean, that's like <laughs> I'm not going to go on a show that, you know, but it's like that's an entertainment yes, show. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and, you know, so like I said, they were both great and, and – uh, you know, he's been great. He's and he's always been happy that I have this gig over here. And Aww, you know. so you're supportive of one another. Yeah. Let's talk about the Christmas show coming up. Yeah. Which I loved. It's a great Christmas debate. On Fox Nation. Yep. But will it be on the big Fox? I think it will. Yes. I should have mentioned that on Fox and That's Friends. That's okay. Today, but we're you're mentioning it on the Janice Dean podcast. Yeah. And I'm doing Fox and Friends weekend as well. Okay. And hopefully I'll I'll mention that with with Will. But yeah. It turned out so good because it was originally, it was just a special for Fox Nation. It turned out so good. They said, we can't waste it. We got to put it on. So it's going to be on the network. I love it. Yeah. How did it happen? Was that you thinking it's, we have to do all, it? Yes. All my idea. <laughs> Nobody, no executives at Fox Nation ever have ideas. It's all Tom Shalhoub. No. <laughs> they, they had this, you know, great idea. You know, I, I'm sure it was Finley, John Finley, who's great. And yep. I love the guy. And he's, he has... Um, he's always got these great ideas. Uh, he came to me with quiz show and yes. he says, you know, the, we want you to do the show. Very simple, uh, doing a daily quiz on Fox nation. So when Fox nation started, I was doing that every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when, you know, when COVID hit, I was home and I was doing the happy hour from home and you did some of those. Too, oh, right? listen, I was talking about that the other day with somebody. 
I'm sorry, I really drank a lot during that. New well, Year's that was Eve a special. it was a New Year's Eve party. <laughs> I you know, were supposed to, but still, I went upstairs and I was like, "Hey, he's don't like, oh, tell what me are everybody you else." Doing? Dean Kane was oh, ha- I know, knocking I was, him back as well. I don't remember. I was like, "Hey, Dean, if you and I got married, we like Dean and Dean." I know, exactly. <laughs> I know, and I'm but sure he fun. was like, "No, I'm a traditional man. It would be your name would be your name would be Janice Dean, and I would be." No, your name would be Janice Kane, and I, I would be Dean Kane. Right, I I understand that, but at the time, <laughs> after a bottle of wine during quiz show at home during a pandemic, uh, but it was a lot of fun. But you know what I love? I love those all the the game show channel. If I see Gene Rayburn on, oh, I'm watching that. That's a great. I love that, and again, humor that you probably couldn't get away with today. Oh, those shows were so naughty. I loved it, and still do. I feel like there is. There's a place for that. Yes. So we may we're we're going to be doing more of these kind of things. Excellent. Sign me up. And the great thing about it, I think, for the Fox Nation audience, uh, like I said, we just were down in Florida at the at the Patriot Awards, and we saw all these Fox Nation fans. Yeah. And they were they're so they just love it. They they're part of the family. They yes. feel like they know us all, and that they um that that they are that we are family, and they treat you that way. Yes. Uh, and so with this game show, this, uh, debate show, it is like a kind of a look behind the scenes because mm-hmm. you get to see Janice and Julie Banderas and Jimmy Fela and, uh, Jerry Willis, uh, Will Kane, Will Kane is on and, and, uh, and Michael Loftus. So funny. And they're all, uh, having, they kind of let their hair down, maybe have a couple <laughs> drinks and it's silly. I mean, it, the, obviously, the idea of a debate was, and I'm sure this was John Finley's idea. He's like, let's take these, all of these Christmas questions, but do it like, set it up like a political That's debate. The, that was the p- hard part about it because I knew it was going to be fun, but I'm going to tell you behind the scenes, I was practicing with my husband. I was like, okay, we're doing fake, I have to do fake Christmas tree. So yeah. you're going to sit there and I'm going to tell you why fake Christmas tree is better than real Christmas oh, tree. Oh, that's good. So you and, did, that's oh, what I, they do in politics. Oh, they have listen, someone playing the opposition, yes, right? I did it at the dinner table with my kids. They're like, mom, gosh, why do you have to keep doing this? I'm like, because I have to win. You have to win. <laughs> Yes. No, it was very fun. Uh, and and I was nervous about it. I'm not going to lie, because it was a debate. It's not like you just go in there and like talk about Christmas stuff. Yeah. We had to actually work and rehearse and, and not rehearse, but know what we were going to say. Uh, you and were signed. That's the idea of the debate is that because it doesn't matter uh, what the topic is, it matters how well you represent your ideas. So what <laughs> I did was I assigned people... You know, if it was real tree or fake tree, you couldn't decide. Right. Doesn't matter if you believe in a real tree. That's if I right. assigned you fake tree, you yep. have to argue fake tree. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and it was very fun. And then it got harder as we went. You gave us distractions. Yes. Uh, so we didn't know that going in there. We bit just of fear factor. A, a little right? bit. Right. There was eating weird things was, on set. I'm not. There was give... a fruitcake uh, round. <laughs> there was, and, and it was Will hilarious. Kane, Took it seriously. He's a lawyer, so I feel like he had a head, a leg up on everyone else. But I love that there was a studio audience. And I love that afterwards, it was like, oh, I got to do something really fun that just kind of took us away from all the other stuff that yeah. we see on television and kind of brings us down a little bit. And I was like, I could do this every day. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what it, we we love those old game shows. You remember uh, Burt Reynolds would do that. Uh, he had that kind of win, lose, or draw. Yes. And it was fun to see them all horsing around with each other. That was yes. the whole fun of the show. You know what my favorite 
my favorite two minutes in television is when Hannity hands his show off to Laura Ingram and they tease each other. Yeah, It's so fun because yeah. it's so, you know. You see of behind course, the scenes. Yeah, and I want to watch their shows and I want them to get to the <laughs> issues. But there's just something fun about that. Like they're, because you can see they have, uh, you know, they're they're kind of real with each other. Yes. They're like, they're happy to tease each other. Greg's show is all about teasing. He's always making fun of people. I mean, I don't know how many times last night I'm on, Kilmeade's not even on the show, but he's getting teased <laughs> by Gutfeld, yes. you know. And so th there's that kind of energy. And I love, you know, whenever we can bring that to anything. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, but Fox has that secret sauce of getting people who genuinely like each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have to talk about the Joe Biden impersonation because that has become a fan favorite. I mean, the people do love it. And the thing is, I mean, I'm not even that good. Like, I'm not an impressionist. <laughs> I'm not a professional. I'm a comedian, so I can I can usually make things funny, but. For, as far as impressionist goes, I always think that there are people who are excellent at their their tech. You know, they're technically someone like Rich Little, who was always you know. Oh, was, loved yeah, him. Yeah, technical master and um, the uh, you know what what Daryl Hammond on SNL. Yes, he was like every every t t time he's dead on. Yeah, you know. But then you have someone like Dana Carvey, who that's my kind of guy because mm -hmm. Dana Carvey was like he was. He did George Bush, the yes. senior. And, yep. you know, to tell you the truth, you got to look at his George Bush, right? And it, it doesn't, he's not like George Bush at all. He's doing this crazy caricature. It doesn't really sound, it sounds like, you know, oh my God, you know, he's just doing this kind of weird character <laughs> yeah. and not going to do it, not going to remember. Right. So he would, he would take uh, a, a small thing about George Bush and he would, uh, read he would, my lips. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, that, and he would say, uh, wouldn't be prudent. Wouldn't be prudent, you know. But he was very silly. Yes. And to me, that's what you have to do with Biden. Right. If and it's you not do offensive. It, do you know what I mean? I think, not that I really care, but I think Joe Biden would get a kick of out of course. these. Of course. You know, the because I don't. Usually, don't I'm do not talking about mean. politics. Yeah. Um, I do it because you know I, I I do it because I have to because Greg says I need another Joe Biden, <laughs> but the you know he does something and you know maybe he'll wander off the stage or he'll mix somebody's name up and they show the clip on Gutfeld so you've already seen it yeah so just me doing an accurate representation of him it's not you know it's not going to be fun so I usually like to take it and take it to another place. <laughs> You know, so the other day we did it. Uh, I forget what it was. He was bragging about something. You know, how he's always he's always uh, making up these stories. Right. Right. You know? And the New York Times had mentioned that he tells these uh, these tall tales. That's right. Know? But they almost did it like, oh, isn't he fun? He just like makes up stories. You know, they, they so that was the angle of the story. I'm thinking, what can I do here? So I'm, I'm just improvising into my phone, which is what I do because I shoot it on my phone. And uh, oh, yeah, come on, corn pop, you know, and I'm doing all the things, you know, talking about corn pop. And then he's bragging. He's, you know, I used to, I, I, you know, I taught, uh, I taught because you know he's always bragging that he was the all, uh, the only white lifeguard in all black pool. Oh my, yeah. I don't. I was the only white lifeguard in all black pool in Delaware. And then I said, uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I used to teach. Uh, uh, I was. They called me the white shadow. I taught basketball. And then I said, I, I taught uh, jazz dance to inner city, inner city minority kids. And so I thought, okay, that's that's funny. He's like. So let's take Joe Biden on the TV show Fame from the 70s, which we were watching as a family. After we got I done with the Waltons, we watched Fame. So Fame is in my head, you know, and they had the leg warmers. Yeah. So I said to my wife, do you got any leg warmers? And uh, she says, 
I don't even want to ask. <laughs> so she gives me her leg warmers. I go into a dance studio. I love studio. that she has leg warmers. I know. So uh, Bonus points. I go into a dance studio and I shoot Joe Biden <gasps> teaching jazz dance uh, and uh, put the music behind it, you know, so... I put it on the show. It's absolutely the goofiest thing you ever saw. It doesn't make any sense at all why Joe Biden would be <laughs> teaching jazz dance. But I'm he does so many goofy things. It's right. like I have to take it to another level. Of course. So, you know, this is what we do. I, I, I'm always looking for an angle. I love that you do what you love to do. And I think that that has to be, you know, taught to everyone. I, I tell it to my kids. Do something that you most love to do. It doesn't feel like work. Yeah. I mean, and that's what, uh, I, I, I don't even know what, I don't even know if I could do it again. Like if I could go back in time, I don't know if I would go through all of this, you know, showbiz to, because I had a real desire to break into show business and to be, I wanted to be in movies. I wanted to be on a sitcom, whatever. And then I did years and years and, you know, I didn't really love the business. Like I said, it's very huh. bleak. Yeah. It's very bleak. Yeah. But I did like making people laugh. So, okay, look, I had my little corner of the business. I get up on stage and make people laugh. And then I started doing a show called Red Eye. Oh, and yeah. then I found my audience with these guys. I loved hanging out with Greg. And then when I realized Greg, they kept giving him shows. I was like, how many shows is this guy going to have? At some point, he's going to have to give one of them up. Right. So I went to the, the folks at Fox. I said, if you ever give up Red Eye, I don't want you to cancel it. I want you to consider me for host. And I said, I, said, I went for it. I said, if you want something, ask for it. Yeah. Now, of course, they didn't say yes. They said, no, we're going to, we'll probably look at 14 other people. But I was in the running and I ended up getting it. So, well, congratulations. <laughs> and we've been laughing ever since. <laughs> Tom Chalou, you know, I could talk to you forever. Uh, we'll do it again. I would like that. So, watch the, the Fox Nation special, The Great Christmas Challenge. Great Christmas Debate. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, but I there are challenges. No, there are challenges within the Great Christmas Debate. Good. Okay. Thanks for the save. Yeah. And there's more to come to be continued, right? There's going to be more game shows. I don't know what we're going to do, but we have some ideas. We have to make this one a huge success because yeah. then they will ask us to do another one. Well, yeah. And another one. Yeah. Well, look, it's worth the, you know, I mean, they got some deal going on with Fox Nation now. It's like, it's almost nothing. Right. And there's probably like... There's probably like 10 shows on Fox Nation that are worth the, the, the subscription. Yes. You know, that new Kevin Costner series? Amazing. I was talking about John Finley. It was, you know, that this was, I haven't even talked to him about it yet. It's so good. I haven't it's seen it so, yet, but I will see it's it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful show and it's, 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 there's nothing like it. That's worth it. Tucker Carlson every day. Amazing. That's worth it. Yeah. I mean, just the, just the Tucker Carlson You're section right. of, of Fox Nation. Worth the price of admission. Uh -huh. And this, the great Christmas Un debate. And if you love it, tell us. Get on social media. Let the world know how great this program was. Because I, I loved it. I loved everything about it and the people we were with. And it was a blast. Yeah. You were great. The wine helped. Yeah. And I think you won. Let's say. I don't even know how it turned out. I can't remember. But I think, let's just say Janice won. I think I did really well. <laughs> and I dressed up like an elf. But that's what I look like every day. <laughs> Thank you, Tom Shalou. Thank you. You're the best. You're the best. Thanks for making the Dean's List. Thank you, Tom Shalou, for coming on the Janice Dean Podcast. You are awesome. And don't forget the great Christmas debate, available now on Fox Nation. You're going to love it. Guaranteed. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.